Welcome to Everything Belongs, a podcast exploring the subtleties of living, creating, leading, and thriving while in the deep end of life. I'm your host, Madison Morgan, and here with me and my weekly guests, you can expect curious and brave conversations all centering around what it means to live into the process of awakening to our worth, wholeness, and power. We will talk about personal, collective, and spiritual freedom, riff on sovereign leadership, living in levity, and bridge the mystical with the down-to-earth and practical. There is not much we shy away from here because at this table, everything belongs. What is up, loves? I'm so excited to have this guest on today. Today I'm in conversation with Nick Strack. And Nick is, how would I describe Nick? The silliest, funniest parenting coach that is rooted in an authentic way of living that is countercultural, but also deeply fun and easy to approach, like so easily approachable. So Nick, all of that to say, you don't need, you don't need my take on Nick's energy, but because you'll get your own perspective, but to give you the short, Nick is a parenting coach who supports parents to custom create their own parenting styles in order to make more conscious choices with confidence and grace in their parenting. Nick uses a parent-centered approach which focuses on addressing the parent's responsibility and understanding instead of automatically trying to change the child. Nick literally assumes sovereignty of their children, of all children. They teach the C's, the five C's of bespoke parenting framework so people can ground and orient themselves as they cultivate understanding and make conscious choices in their parenting and everywhere in their lives. Nick Nick has taught in my program, Rising Sovereign, and what I loved about having someone who was a parenting coach come in and teach people who maybe weren't even parents, like I'm not a parent, was that these tools and principles were so deeply impactful for reparenting ourselves. So regardless if you are a parent of youngsters, if you are a parent of adult children, or if you are just parenting yourself, because aren't we all, I have a really strong feeling that this conversation with Nick around sovereign parenting is going to shift the way that you relate to yourself and the world around you, shift the way you relate to children. And what's really fun is to deeply understand the concept of contempt consent and capacity, which is the bulk of the conversation we have today. So this conversation is so juicy. Please go give Nick a follow on social media and let them know what you take away from this conversation. And then of course, when you do that, share it, let me know as well. Tag me at Madison Morgan, tag Nick at Nick Strack. And yeah, let us know what you gain from this conversation. Here we go. Let's dive in. Nick, thank you so much for coming on Everything Belongs. You're welcome. I'm yes. so excited to be here. Yes. Okay, so you are a parenting coach. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious for you to quickly tell us about how you became a parenting coach. I'm assuming that happened after you became a parent? Um, In a way, I feel like I've been working toward this my entire life um, because becoming a parenting coach for me, like, yes, I solidified that I call it being a parenting coach after I became a parent, but I started my parenting journey several years before um, even trying to conceive because I realized just from looking at my own upbringing, there were numerous 
ways in which I was parented, which didn't work for me. Mm. And um, so I wanted to call attention to some of the ways in which mainstream parenting culture just kind of perpetuates a lot of unexamined beliefs and behaviors. And um, so I support folks in cultivating that awareness in order to make different decisions as it relates to their parenting and really just humaning in general. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious, I'm not a parent and as a non-parent, I try to be very cautious about my opinions on parenting. (laughs) It seems like that's unwarranted and not wanted. So I'm curious, what are some of the mainstream um, behaviors, choices you see being made that you're consciously choosing to shift in your own parenting? Oh, yeah. I think some of the biggest, biggest ticket items are perpetuation of the cycle of socialization. So like Bobby Haro developed this, um, I don't know what I would call it, like a chart, I guess, but it like shows the process by which we become socialized. And there is so much unconscious conforming that takes place in many different ways and many different levels And so as it relates to parenting, the perpetuation of white supremacy culture, patriarchy, the binary construct of gender, cis-heteronormativity, ableism, and specifically like as it relates to how people, so that's just kind of like generally a lot of parents will carry those things forward, Mm -hmm. but also in their relationships with their children, um, expecting obedience and using obedience as a measuring stick for like how good their child is or aspiring to martyrdom and thinking that that makes them a good parent or generally just operating in dynamics that perpetuate like punishment, reward, contempt, um, power over dynamics between the parent and the child. Just to name a few. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) So... Where would we like to go from here? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I I might mess up how you say this, but you are raising your child to be um, to basically choose their gender and sometimes even choose their name depending on the day. Is that correct? Um, yes. And the way that I would say it is I'm raising my child to be who he is. Mm, well, and yeah. um, I'm, like, sharing different avenues through which he can express the true nature of who he is. And sometimes that's through pronouns and through changing his name. And um, like, those are some tangible examples, but yeah, I think what it comes down to for me is like really getting so curious about who he is and supporting him in being like expressing and experiencing the fullness of who he is for as much as I possibly can. How was it received in your family whatever you brought forward that this is how you wanted to raise him? Well, (laughs) um, I wouldn't, I'm trying to think. We didn't necessarily have like a sit down conversation about this per se. It's kind of been an evolving way of being over time. Like as he gets older, the, choices that we make available to him continue to expand. And so um, I'm trying to figure out like what things to say. 
mm-hmm. that are not going to come back and bite me in the ass. <laughs> but really, <laughs> I will say that um, some members of our family consider the work that I do to be toxic. And um, some members are very subtly not okay with it. And other members of the family do not care. And like maybe two people are here for it. Yeah. Well, the work you're doing is not centered around gender expression. It's centered around choice and sovereignty from what I perceive of your work. And so that, it seems like that's just such a one small way that you're bringing this into your relationship with your child. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And I want to make sure to clarify that, that you're not only a coach to teach parents how to raise their child to be who they are in that specific way, but in every way. Yeah. And really... I'm supporting the parents and learning how to support themselves and living that life so they can model it for their kids. Yes. That, okay. I want to talk about that specifically. So you talk a lot about contempt, capacity, and consent in your work and in your relationship with your child. And I'm curious how parenting has taught you about contempt, capacity, and consent specifically in relationship to yourself. Okay. (sighs) So with contempt, the biggest lessons that I'm learning on that, so I define contempt as being, like if I were to really boil down the definition, it's like I am better than you or you are better than me in some way. You know more, I know more, whatever it is. And sometimes I can simultaneously hold contempt for myself and for others. So it's like this really challenging cognitive trap where nobody gets to win. Um, But as it relates to parenting, there's this like mom knows best like rhetoric that exists and um, mom doesn't know best (laughs) what I have. Be like, I think the child knows best a lot of the time. And like, yes, they are learning how to be in the world and their thing, their decisions that they may make will, which could put their bodies in physical danger. And that is real. So they don't necessarily know best across the board, but, I think that that phrase mom knows best is used in situations which are clearly disregarding the sovereignty and agency of the child. Mm -hmm. And those are the scenarios where I'm like, Ooh, that's yucky. Like, and I've done it. I've fully participated in that, like being outside and it's 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And I'm like, Hey kid, put a jacket on. And he'll be like, no, I don't feel cold. And I'm like, well, do you need to put a jacket on? And he's like, but no. And so in conversations like that, like we are learning how to, like, I trust that his body has the sensors to let us know if he's in temperatures, like if, if he's too uncomfortable or if he needs like to change the way that his body is being uh, closed or whatever. Um, So uncomfortable as it is for me we did set a limit of 32 degrees so if it's 31 degrees it's a jacket so I'll let him know what the temperature is at 31 because I just don't feel I don't feel comfortable but that's me knowing that I'm making it about me when it's less than 32 degrees even if he says that he's fine Mm -hmm. um but I think that mother knows best kind of rhetoric leads to people being like well no I just know best across the board and this is what you're going to do And that piece of contempt of like, I know you better than you know you um, 
is really prevalent in parenting stuff. And so it has brought to me a lot of questions about what, like, where does my belief that I know better come from? What is it in this particular situation that I think that I know more of? What is it that I'm trying to prevent from happening with this kid? What is it that I'm trying to make happen? But when I turn the questions back on myself as it relates to the contempt that I bring into my relationship with him, um, it's really helping me to understand better like my own assumptions that I have about myself and the things that I tell myself are true. And it's like, well... I have a very, to use the weather example, I feel comfortable in like a 10 degree window of weather. Outside of that, I'm too hot or too cold. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so a lot of my concern about how he's feeling in his body is me just projecting my experience of weather onto him and not Mm -hmm. trusting in his knowing of his own body. That was just contempt. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's so good. It sounds like there's this rooting into trust like trusting your child and also just others. This is a beautiful practice for those of us without children, trusting others to be able to state what they need. And I'm curious though about this in relationship with others, because you're, you're raising your child this way where trust seems to be centered in the relationship. And what about in relationships where we might not actually be able to trust that someone's going to ask for what they need and they want us to assume? Oh, enter most adult relationships that I <laughs> yes. Specifically yeah. why I asked, because this is the way that most of us relate and we're taught to relate. Yeah. Um, for me, as I have been chiseling away at the contempt that I perpetuate in my relationships with myself and with other people, I'm finding that it is a fairly consistent process of getting to where I'm at. So like getting congruent with if I'm about to send a text to somebody and I can feel, I now know what it feels like in my body when I'm about to do something like contempty. Um, and an example of that could be something as simple as like asking for what I want and then adding in parentheses, but you don't have to give it to me. It's fine. Like offering somebody an out me trying to manage their feelings. That's contempt. Um, And so when I know, when I experience that feeling coming up, I'm getting in the practice of slowing down, acknowledging it, and then, sorry, acknowledging it, and then being like, okay, what is actually happening here? What is it that I truly want? And there are times when I'll be like, hey, I want this thing, and I'm concerned that you're going to just want to give it to me because of X, Y, Z, and I want you to know that I, I want it to feel clean. I want it to be true consent. I want you to have an enthusiastic yes for this or whatever it is because that's still my lane. They may or may not give me what I want, but for me, part of deconstructing contempt has been acknowledging where I'm at and sharing that with the other person, not because I'm trying to coerce them into doing what I want, but because I want to cultivate closeness with them and be like, this is uncomfortable and different for me. And Mm -hmm. this is what I have. That is scary stuff. It is. That is some scary stuff because... What comes up for me immediately is, but I can't trust them to do it unless I coerce them. Right. That. And then who's going to take care of me? Ah, uh, it hurts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. And oh, I really just need to sit with that for a second. <laughs> yeah. 
And I'm, I see the way that in business, in marketing, in relationships, with, in, in different kinds of relationships and different kind of power structures, how this happens, right? Like I need to convince someone. And I was actually speaking with a client about this. They were talking about their marketing and what they really want in their business. And they're like, maybe I just need to, you know, make people know why they need what I sell and convince them that they need it. And it was like, whoa, 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 let's talk about that. Let's, let's break that down because that's how a lot of us were taught to do even marketing mm-hmm. is I have something and I need to convince you that you need it. Mm-hmm. Hello, contempt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And or the other way around, right? Like I'm not good enough to be a part of this circle. There's an in crowd. There's all of these ideas about less than. Where do you think that that comes from? Is this innate? Is it a human thing that we do? Is it relational? I have no idea. <laughs> I I have never experienced my life without the conditioning that I received. Mm-hmm. So I do not know if, like, I don't know where it came from. I do hold, I hold a belief that babies do not come into the world slinging contempt left and right. I believe that they don't have that. Um, I think that it is a learned behavior. Hmm. And I have not done enough research on this. I suspect other people have, but I haven't. So I'm not sure. Yeah. I talk a lot about the hierarchy of worthiness and I hear some people talk about it as white supremacy culture. And then also we can talk about just enmeshed codependent relationships that we've all just been passed down Either way, it feels really gross. Yes. Either way, no matter where it comes from, it's like, it doesn't feel good to be asking for what we need in like a backward sideways roundabout kind of way. Yeah. Well, I would argue that it both doesn't feel good and it also feels comfortable. Yeah. Or it's not, I wouldn't argue. I don't know why I said argue. That was weird. Um, (laughs) I would add that it doesn't feel good, but it also feels comfortable. And so it becomes the go-to tool for people to get what they want. Mm-hmm. Like I was just thinking about this um, earlier today that I am thinking a lot about blame right now and um, how I do it, how quickly I can turn to blame and different experiences I've had with other people using blame, shame, and, and guilt as ways to get what they want from other people. Mm-hmm. And there was a time I had a conversation with a with a grown up mom who like as well, a grown up mom, <laughs> but like I meant like a mom of a grown up child. Okay, yeah, a, and a grandma. So a, a, yeah, well, I mean, like her kid was just also grown. So okay, <laughs> so confusing. I don't know why. Do you need a diagram? <laughs> a grown ass woman. Exactly, a grown ass woman <laughs> who has a grown ass kid. And the kid did something like that she didn't like. She had feelings about it. And then she tried to coerce and manipulate this kid into apologizing and feeling shitty about the thing that he had done. And when I was talking to her about it, I was like, your response to him seemed like you were trying to shame him. And she was like, well, yeah. (laughs) And that well, yeah, has stuck with me for so long because... That was, she was so, like, she she was like, yeah, I did. 
right? Like, and that's kind of where the decision seemed in my brain ended. Cause I was like, I don't understand how you would be so on board with your own decision to try to shame your child into feeling bad just because you feel bad. And I completely understand it. Like, like at the same time, like logically it does not compute and experientially it totally does. And to me that highlights so much of how this, like this, this phrase hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. Like she felt hurt and she wanted her kid to also feel hurt and then apologize for the hurt that she felt, mm-hmm. which had nothing to actually do with him. And a lot of this is handed down. Yes. You know, it's, it's cultural. It is familial patterns. There were times in my childhood where if I did something wrong, it was go to your room and think about what you've done and come Mm -hmm. out whenever you have enough remorse and the family is not going to talk to you until you do. And so there's this withholding of love. And I, there, there's an instance that I won't go fully into because I think it's like, Hmm, this, this potentially is abusive, but I was in my room for a two day stint and made an entire scrapbook of apology to every member in my family and moved into this space of, I'm basically, I'm sorry to exist. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'm so bad. And that pattern for me of, Oh, someone is displeased with me. The proper way to respond is to hate myself and into right relationship. Like that's how I will get my love from them back is if they know that I'm so disgusted with myself And that has been years and years of undoing in therapy to realize that I actually don't have to go into shame when I've done something wrong, even if the other person would like me to feel shame. I don't have to agree to that. Oh my God. Yes. It's taken a lot of work though (laughs) to undo all of that. So, okay. Do you have anything more to say on consent? Because I want to I want to move on to capacity and consent. Let's go. Consent is so big. Yeah, contempt I could talk about for a hundred years and not again. <laughs> so if you want to talk more about contempt, go to Nick's Instagram. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there it seems like contempt and consent are inextricably connected in the way that you describe your relationship with your child because it seems like you're trusting them. Yes. So how, how does consent, well, I guess let's start with what is consent in the way that you describe it? Okay. Um, my definition of consent has come to me from like James Olivia and also Eleanor Perdota. Um, I think about it as being like enthu- an enthusiastic yes from all parties involved for whatever it is that is being talked about or proposed. Um, that's kind of the that is the degree to which I hold it currently. And it's kind of like also ever evolving because it looks different. And with a kid where there are true dependencies that they, like that he has on his grownups in order for us to keep him like safe and healthy and all of that. Um, like I'm, I will brush his teeth and it won't always be an enthusiastic yes on his end. <laughs> it's not even necessarily an enthusiastic yes on my end. Um, <laughs> so there are times when I accept compliance and it's not necessarily contempt. And compliance is basically like a willingness to do the thing 
with and it doesn't compliance doesn't necessarily regard like the level of excitement about the thing and often i would actually think of compliance as being kind of like a okay fine mm-hmm. response as opposed to a fuck yes mhm um so there's like a contempt or sorry a consent and compliance kind of back and forth as it relates to my parenting i would say compliance is regarding most of the like just hygiene related things that need to happen to take care of his body and the consent stuff comes when it's about what he's doing with his body what kinds of even just like what kinds of games are we playing what are the activities that we're choosing what how are we spending our time together that's where i think about the consent piece more because there are i there are a lot of times when i'm just like i am fine with compliance and not consent how has this like parenting your child in this way shifted your relationship with yourself and consent with yourself oh my goodness um it has been such a fascinating confrontation is what I'll call it. <laughs> fascinating confrontation. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, with how often I bypass my own yeses and nos in favor of what somebody else has. So as it relates to me and my own consent and having an enthusiastic yes for things, that was not the requirement that I held for myself for a long time, I was totally fine to do obedience and compliance and to be coerced and to be manipulated and all of that. And so as I engage with this child who doesn't have any of those patterns of behavior, I am aware of different things that I get up to where I'm like, all I want right now is compliance. All I want is obedience or whatever it is. Or, oh, he's so excited to do this art project, but I have a no for it. What are we going to do now? But like getting so much more attuned to my yes and no has been both fascinating and confronting because I'm realizing how often I have bypassed what I have. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I've spent a lot of time grieving that. Mm -hmm. So much grief around the ways in which I have bypass particularly my own no um, in favor of what somebody else wanted. Would you say that that grieving process is ongoing or is it something that you went through like while awakening to this? Oh God, no. Well, I grieve all the time, all day, every day. I would say like, I would say my experience of grief is ongoing. Um, I perhaps I don't, maybe at from where I am right now, I don't necessarily feel as much grief about specifically bypassing my yeses and my noes because I've been cultivating practice around like really regarding my yeses and noes. Um, so that specific piece has kind of waned, but I definitely experience grief on the daily. It seems you, you are someone who seems to take really good care of their boundaries. And that has been presented in our relationship quite strongly as an super beautiful to witness. I'm wondering if you had access to what those boundaries were before really attuning to what consent looked like for you, what your yes and no was. No. (laughs) (laughs) Like I do not. um, I did not have great 
boundaries. Like I'm trying to think <laughs> the hesitation you're hearing is just me trying to process like, yeah, what did my, what were my boundaries like even like two years ago? And I wouldn't say that I had any sort of a conscious practice of regarding myself in any of those, like regarding my yes and my no or my energetic capacity or what I wanted and didn't want, just any of that stuff. I didn't necessarily pay attention to at all. I was so externally oriented to what other people wanted and to the contempt that I was committed to at that time of like assuming what other people wanted or guessing and doing all these mental gymnastics of like, well, they asked me to do this. And if I don't do this, this is what they're going to think about me. And this is going to be what happens to me. And this is how I'm going to feel. And this is how they're going to feel. And just like a whole fucking fake story about the results of what would happen if I said one thing or another. And I just spent so much of my life living in that way. Mm. It brings up a lot of fear. Like that's how I, whenever I think about asserting my true yes and my true no, it brings up fear of being isolated, fear of being left out, fear that other people will think I'm selfish. And I'm curious, what are the biggest hurdles you've had to overcome while honoring your true consent and honoring your true capacity? (sighs) Not being liked by other people, especially by people who I like. I think that's like how I would boil it down. There's so much more to it than that. But in the process of clarifying and honoring and regarding my boundaries, which I want to make really clear, like my boundaries change on a moment to moment basis, daily, monthly, yearly, they're always changing. And it's my responsibility to regard my ever-changing boundaries, which is work. Mm -hmm. It takes work because even if I make a commitment today to talk to someone in a week, if it's coming up to the time when I want to talk to when we're supposed to be talking and I don't want to talk to them, I have a decision to make. Will I do it? Will I not? Um, How much do I share about where I'm at? Like all of that kind of stuff. It's constant checking in with my capacity and with my consent and giving myself permission to regard what I have and be willing to do repair in the relationships where people have a hard time with me going after and being aligned with what I want. Mm-hmm. Have you received, and I'm asking purely for myself right now, have you received <laughs> feedback that you're selfish for going after what you want? Oh my God, yes. How have you handled process felt, experienced that? <laughs> Um, so it's this question and the experience of having just in like two weeks ago being called selfish and self-focused, um, is timely because I just completed a, a, like a course with Jen McCabe called things you carry, which is all about identifying our false beliefs and integrating them or like starting to integrate them. And the false beliefs are the things which, I I operate from my false beliefs when I'm trying to like be loved and feel safe and think that I have value in the world. So that's where a lot of the fuckery that we get up to comes from, it's from operating from our false beliefs. And my three false beliefs are I'm wrong, I'm inept, and I'm a weirdo. Mm. And so I basically, I lead with I'm wrong. I assume that I'm wrong and that I need to either like assert my rightness to somebody else so that they will like me can't that doesn't fucking work um or 
<laughs> or that I like make myself wrong and um or I'm like, oh my God, I, how could I think that thing? It's like so wrong of me, like, and go into my own spiral about it. Um, and so I'm inept is about thinking that I'm incompetent and also clumsy. And then I'm a weirdo is thinking that the way that I naturally exist, just like my innate humanity is inherently weird and not worthy of belonging in like this current just in my life and with the people that I'm around and just anybody. And so I had been just in the process of really like being with those and grieving the amount of time that I've spent living from those places. And then someone um, sent an accusation my way that I am selfish and self-focused. And I just, I mean, I cried for like three days (laughs) about it. Um, And then it, it ended up being like a really helpful because of the timing, like the timing and all of it, um, the way that it aligned, it was helping me to really land the plane on what my false beliefs are. Because when people send accusations, they only land because I have that it's true, what they're saying. Devastating. This is devastating news. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on something very similar right now. So I'm just over here like, oh, keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, so Jen... McCabe talks about like taking someone's name off of it. And by that, she means like, what is my responsibility? This person has hurled an accusation my way. Why is it landing? Like, what is it in me that's being sparked such that I'm feeling sad and crying for three days about this? And then it becomes my work. Like, it doesn't necessarily matter who it came from. Of course, there's the question of like my relationship with that person um, and how I want to be in relationship with them. Like, that's a thing. But separate from that, when you ask what my experience of this has been like, it's like me, I talk about it like it's a process of me coming home to me. And that for me includes validating and acknowledging and honoring myself for who I am and how I show up in the world. And the more that I am shifting from becoming really externally oriented, like thinking that who I am is determined by people outside of me and that my value and my worthiness and stuff are decided outside of me as opposed to being internally oriented where I'm like, this is me. I've got me. I'm worthy. I'm here. I'm doing my thing. Um, That process has been so unfamiliar and uncomfortable for me um, because it is not at all how I have really lived my life. And admittedly, I am a person who does pendulum swings. Like when I learn a new thing, I go really far to the other side. Mm. And so I think in this external to internal orientation shift, I am over, I am going over on the internal orientation to a point where I'm not necessarily cultivating right relationship with other people. And I'm okay with that right now Mm. because that's just kind of how I learn and process and integrate. I love your experience of grace with that because there, and I guess by grace, I mean this allowing your process to be beautiful in what it is, even though you might want to get to full integration, the swing of your humanness and letting that be your process is a part of it. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So much of what you said deeply resonates and it's, 
isn't it beautiful that the work we get to do with others is so much of the work that we are always getting to continually do with ourselves? Oh my God. Yes. I love when that shit lines up. (sighs) Yes. Okay. So you, you said something about self-responsibility and I'm a big yes for self. Well, I'm, I'm a big yes for talking about self-responsibility. I don't always love taking it and it. Um, I believe in it. (laughs) I'm an advocate of it. Um, And sometimes I'm a no for actually doing it based on my behavior. I'll say that. But (laughs) what I'm wondering is how, uh, was there a time you were on a healing journey before sovereignty and self-responsibility was center in it? Yeah, like see me 13 months ago <laughs> and everything before that. So I, I'm curious, is it, I really see a, um, I see a lot of people go through healing from a place of lack of self-responsibility and it's a lot of other, other people did me wrong. I'm, I'm stuck, all, like all of these stories that we have that are from pain and trauma and hurt. And then there's a shift into self-responsibility that not everyone is a yes for. But I, once I see the yes for it, I see this acceleration of healing hmm. across the board. And I'm wondering if that has been your experience. I definitely have experienced more growth and expansion since I started to learn the four skills of radical relating from Jen McCabe last September. So September, mm-hmm. 2019. Um, then and any other period of my life. I guess now it's been almost like 11 months since I started that process. And I have, I have changed and truly like rewired my brain in so many different ways over the last year plus that are like, I think I kind of started ramping up the growth stuff. Um, and then when like a couple months before, because I took regard with James Olivia last summer mm-hmm. and then getting into the container with Jen McCabe really just kind of rocket shipped it all away. And so I've definitely had a really expansive um, experience of growth as like, as I started to learn more about like sovereignty and responsibility and what are these things and what do they mean to me and Ernie Meadows who um, Jen McCabe learned from Ernie Meadows has this saying, which is responsibility is sovereignty is consequences are. And being with those phrases last year, I was like, huh, what does that even mean? And now I'm like, oh shit, this is, these are two word sentences that are the trajectory for a completely different life for me. Mm-hmm. And that when you talk about, I haven't actually asked you, like when you call it, when you talk about self-responsibility, how are you defining that? I just, I define self-responsibility as I have a choice. Like in, in everything, there is a choice for me to make. And I might not always like that choice and I might not, that might not be my first choice, but there's a way that I can have a sense of self-belonging, remembering my power, remembering who I am within every moment of every day. Mm-hmm. And through remembering my choice, I'm remembering my power. I'm remembering that I belong. I'm remembering my sovereignty. And 
I guess this isn't a definition. It's more of me verbally processing because I've never defined it in one sentence before. Sure. But I, I find that through remembering my responsibility, I'm happier and more in alignment with my innate wholeness than whenever I'm waiting on something external to change before I can be happy. Got it. Ooh, yum. Okay, yes. Thank you for saying that. So I, I call it just responsibility. That's your um, definition? <laughs> like, pretty much. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Response-able. <laughs> exactly. Like, able to respond. Um, mm-hmm. And the sovereignty piece of, like, self-governing. So, like, my shit is my shit. Mm-hmm. My feelings, my thoughts, my decisions, my desires, um, all of that stuff. My integrity, commitments, those are all mine. So the, that's, like, the sovereignty piece of it. And so combining responsibility with sovereignty has been... Yeah, like some of probably like the biggest growing pains of my life, Um, because for 30 plus years, I spent, I spent 30 plus years doing it one way or like different ways, but they also, they often used like a contempty, coercive, manipulative use of power and to shift away from that and truly start to deconstruct contempt and not just go from one way to another, like I said that I swing the pendulum, which is real. And there's a difference between being like, oh my God, all this time I thought that I was bad. Now you're bad. (laughs) It's not the same as, oh, I spent all this time thinking that I'm bad. And now what? Like, instead of just immediately like swinging it in the other direction, figuring out what the third way is. Oh, the third way. Okay. And this is really exciting to me. What you just said. Um, for two reasons. The first is I define sovereignty as self-belonging. Like I belong to me and we belong together. And if I belong to me, then like my stuff belongs to me too. Yeah. And therefore we can belong together. And okay. What you just said really activated something for me around my boundaries and how I not only taught boundaries, but embodied my boundaries in such a way that were about coercion. Mm. and they were rooted in contempt. And in the past, I would say year and a half, really rooting into my own sovereignty as well, realizing that like my boundaries are actually about me and what I'm doing and what I'm, how I'm feeling and how I'm moving and a lot, a lot less about restrictions for others. Mm. And that really shifted uh, the peace in my life. I will, <laughs> I will say so. Okay. Yes. Thank you for naming that. That just brought that to my mind. So beautiful. You're welcome. So I have a question, Nick, and it's about something you posted on Instagram and you, you asked a question on Instagram that said, what do you do when faced with a difference you're not okay with? And I'm faced with differences that I'm not okay with quite a lot, especially (laughs) this year. It's been a year for a difference that we're not okay with. (laughs) How you are a queer person who holds a number of identities that other people might not be okay with and systemically our society shows that they're not okay with. And I'm curious how you navigate difference, being faced with difference that we're not okay with while you hold identities that others are not okay with. Yeah. Oof. This is very much a work in progress (laughs) for me. Um, where I'm at with this 
with my response to this question currently is what I do when I encounter a difference I'm not okay with, what I'm getting really practiced at is just pausing first. <laughs> um, in regard with James Olivia last year, they taught about the four ways, like the fuckeries that we get up to, which are attack, defend, avoid, and control. Those are often the ways that we respond to differences we're not okay with. And um, in learning the four skills of radical relating, I now am able to make a different choice. I have skills which help me to not just attack, defend, avoid, and control, but to open up possibilities um, around like true relating where I am like the fourth skill is called unconditional positive regard. The first step of that skill is to suspend judgment. The second step is to regard all the other has as positive and unconditional. And the third step is to remain committed to my integrity. And the way that that, the way that I use that skill is often, okay, first, Notice that I'm having big feelings. I've encountered a difference I'm not okay with. Okay, that's first. Next, now what? Do I want to choose this skill? Okay, if I choose the skill, what does it mean for me to suspend judgment? What does it mean for me to regard all the other has as positive and unconditional? And what does it mean for me to remain committed to integrity? Because in the past, I used to either fold and be like, okay, well, you're right. Or I would get really big and attack to be like, I'm right. And it's not actually a conversation. It's just like a debate of who's right. Mm -hmm. And that's not real relating. And so now when I'm facing differences, I'm not okay with, I'm getting more practice at turning inward to explore like, huh, why am I not okay with this difference? Like what's happening there? And then deciding what to do from there. Um, and I'm finding that in a lot of situations in the past where my response would have been to either attack or defend, those were both coming from places of my false beliefs. The like, I'm wrong one. And often I'm inept as well. And so what I thought I needed to do in order to feel love and belonging was to assert my rightness. I am now like, oh, that's what I'm up to. Like, oh, I was just trying to like... um argue for my rightness. I was trying to argue for my belonging. And so being able to identify that, I actually don't, I'm not participating in the same responses that I used to have to differences I'm not okay with. And now again, with this cultivation of internal orientation, I'm finding more and more opportunities for me to explore where I'm at and for me to hone and clarify my values based on the things that I'm not okay with that other people do. And so it's like, okay, other people, um, we live in a, like in here in the States, we live in a cis hetero monogamous patriarchal society. It centers people who are cisgender and heterosexual and, um, it centers men and monogamy essentially. Um, and okay, there are people who are going to perpetuate that. What do I want to do about it? What is meaningful for me in that conversation? Because 
sometimes it might be, oh, I want to have a conversation with this one person who's having, who's doing this thing or that thing, whatever it is that they're doing that I might think is harmful. And sometimes it might just be acknowledging that that person is up to what they're up to. And I'm going to use the experience that I had with them to influence how I choose to parent and be in conversation with Jack, for example. Like it doesn't always need to be about the difference that's outside of me. So it's because the difference that I'm not okay with lives in me. The other person may have scratched the difference, but it still lives in me. It's something that I hold. And so I am responsible for it. I am discovering that often people don't actually want to relate about the differences that they're not okay with. Right. Like, um, that I, on my Instagram feed a few hundred years ago, because who knows what time is even, I posted a post that said, um, fuck the golden rule and fuck the platinum rule too. And folks had some feelings (laughs) at me in the comments. Mm -hmm. And for part of the time that I was participating in the comments, I was trying to go after understanding and like relating to folks and finding out more about what they had. And then I gave myself permission to be like, I'm not going to go after understanding if I make the assumption that this person doesn't want to go after relating. Like I give myself permission to make an assumption, hold it as true, and then base my actions on that assumption. Hmm. But for me, it feels clean because I know what I am up to as opposed to in the past, I would have made the assumption, held it as true, made whatever decision that I made, but I wouldn't have acknowledged that all of those things had actually happened. Those are all decisions that happened within me. And so that piece of like, how do we relate around a difference that someone else doesn't want to relate around? I I make my decisions on the fly all the time. Like I've mm-hmm. there have been times where I've been like, I don't believe you when someone's like asking me a question and they say they just want the answer. And I was like, you know, it doesn't seem like you just want the answer. It seems like you have some sort of ulterior motive here. And that person was like, no, I don't. I just want to know. I'm just asking. I'm open like in that kind of a voice. And I was like, um, I don't believe you. So I'm not going to participate in that conversation. And like mm-hmm. giving myself permission to honor that I didn't believe what they were sharing. Again, that lives in me, my belief or disbelief and what it is that they want. They might have really meant it. I didn't believe them. And so I regarded that I didn't believe them. And instead of obligating myself to bypass the no that I had for sharing, um, I regarded my no. And I, gave, and I was like, mm-hmm. hmm. Yeah, no. Whew, that is that is work. And also just the self-responsibility and claiming that every decision you made in there is a choice. Mm-hmm. And instead of moving from reaction, but to bringing it to choice and then being okay with the choice that you've made. Yeah. That seems to be the gold. Yeah, or like making a choice and being like, well, that sucked. I want to make a different <laughs> choice next time. It's not like yeah. I always feel great about the choices that I make. But again, continuing to cultivate, like have this thing that I say, which is understanding makes room for conscious choices. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, it's about like understanding what I'm up to and where I'm at and what I'm holding in this moment, what I have and what I want makes room for me to make a conscious choice about what to do next. And I think the phrase conscious choice has gotten kind of it's gotten away from what I believe the true definition is, which is like, this is a well understood decision. It's like, I know what I'm doing, but I think that it has been kind of 
co-opted by different groups of people where conscious choice has a certain value attachment to it or a certain set of decisions that go along with it where it's like, this is a conscious choice. This is not. Mm. Um, Yeah. Like it's moralism in a way. Exactly. Like that. And so that's where I'm like, I, my intention and want is to make conscious choices. And that doesn't necessarily have only one way that the choice could look. There are times when I'll make the choice and I'll be like, well, that did not work (laughs) now. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Nick, is there anything that we didn't loop back to to close before we move into some rapid fire questions? Anything that you wanted to complete or say? Um, We never talked about the capacity piece. Yes. Thank you for bringing that forward. Would you like to define capacity for us? Yeah, I just want to do like a definition so my brain can know we close that out. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Um, I define capacity as like the energy and resources available to me right now. And I use the word capacity kind of in two ways. I use it as literally the energy that I have. And I also use it to describe like my container for energy and resources. And so I encourage folks to attend to both their present moment energy as well as like their container for capacity Because especially as a parent, that's been one of the pieces that has been so like challenging for me at the beginning because I wasn't taught how to pay attention to my energy in a meaningful, unique to me way. I had only been told, you know, and hadn't yet delved into my own um, personal ways. I had only been told things like, you know, massages and alone time and mani pedis or whatever, bubble baths and shit like that. And it's like, well none of those actually fucking work for me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't take that extra step of being like, okay, and so what does? Like, how do I take care of myself? It can't be none of the things other people have said work for me, so I'm fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so that capacity piece goes along with everything that I've been talking about here because I don't believe that a state at a state of depletion that I can really access different choices, like different decisions. It's very difficult for me to stop a moving train of habit when I'm depleted. Um, It really, for me, requires that I am feeling resource, not necessarily 100%. I don't know if I ever feel like 100% full energized, but like as it relates to making different decisions, acknowledging my responsibility, honoring my sovereignty and that of my child, all of those things require energy. And so the capacity piece kind of ties it all together where it's like, in a state of depletion, I don't think that I would have the energy to make or like to learn, for example, life-changing skills. Even if I want them, I may not be able to access them at that state of depletion because my brain wouldn't have the capacity to learn and integrate and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like circling back to contempt and consent along with capacity you you almost have to have a tap on your capacity to know what true consent is. Yeah. That's how I'm hearing. Yes. Yeah. I have a friend, um, Elise Grice, who talks about it in spoon theory. Have you heard of spoon theory? Yes. It it really helps. The visual it really helps me. Yeah, same. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm gonna dive into some rapid fire. Are you ready? Let's do it. Yeah. What is your spiritual background and were you raised in any sort of spirituality? Uh, my spiritual, the way that I was raised was very much like, um, atheist 
And where I'm at with my spirituality now is I believe in like divine energy and like the universe is what I'll refer to it as. And, um, and I feel like my spiritual beliefs are a combination of a bunch of different things that I've heard in different places. And I just like try on and keep what I like and leave the rest. And all of them come down to like humanizing and regarding beliefs mm-hmm. like where there is no one is better like none of that shit so that's what I would say at all fundamentally fundamentally comes down to like I guess what some people will call oneness but um for me not in a spiritual bypassing kind of a way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for a long time I called myself a spiritual humanist and it kind of sounded like that I love that mm. how do you know when you know it feels different in my body. I think when I know something or when I believe it, there's a difference between knowing and believing. I think knowing lives deeper in my abdomen and believing lives kind of more up in my head. Do they interplay for you? Yes. I am just now, thanks again to Jen McCabe, deconstructing the difference between knowing and believing. Mm-hmm. That is that could be a whole conversation. I love, I love that conversation so much. Nick, what identities have you had to let go of to own your fullness today? (laughs) (laughs) You asked me, like, I knew you were going to ask that question and then I forgot it. Um, And it's so funny. So identities that I've had to let go of, um, not a cis human. I am not a woman. I am not straight. I am not neurotypical. I am not white. Although being raised in white supremacy in a town that's 80% white folks, I like didn't clock myself as a person of color. Um, What other identities? Just like a lot of the stuff around what it means, what it quote unquote means to be a quote unquote good parent. Mm -hmm. Um, Taking on definitions that exist outside of me. I think that's a lot of the shedding that I have been up to. Um, And so letting go of trying to be the mom that is like the mainstream picture of mom and actually rooting into who am I as me and how does that manifest as mom has been a lot of my focus for the last year. What are you most enjoying learning right now? Oh my God, my false beliefs. I just finished that container and learning about the shit that I get up to when I (laughs) encounter a difference I'm not okay with. And when it, when the difference is like, when my false beliefs are up in arms about whatever the difference is, slowing down and creating space between my habituated response and now like my conscious choice has been terrible. I mean, like it's been (laughs) so challenging and confronting again um but also like holy shit liberation Mm -hmm. um to have this awareness and to have the capacity to choose something different to have the ability and the skill to choose something different has been so fucking fun yes i really really agree with you on how it can be the most confrontational process yet the most liberating and fun experience if we allow it to be so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. does grace mean to you? I think of grace as being 
an acknowledgement of our inherent worth. And um, I can't remember if I got that definition from James Olivia or maybe from Sarah Joy Rivers, but that's where I'm at with it right now. And by that, I mean, like, literally, I am worthy, period. Mm-hmm. Not if X, Y, Z, not when X, Y, Z, not because X, Y, Z, or like, I guess the because could be like, I am worthy because I exist. And, um, and the way that grace, the way that I use it in practice. So that's like the philosophy of what it means. And the way that I use it in practice is to make room for and to honor what it means for me to be my whole human self and to be where I'm at, like giving myself permission to be where I'm at has been huge, especially as it relates to my learning process. My learning process involves me judging myself. That's just where I'm at in my process of learning right now. And as soon as I gave myself permission to actually just do that, it became so much easier because I wasn't trying to fight the thing that I naturally currently do. Naturally meaning like that I've been habitually accustomed to. So giving myself the grace and space to just do that lifted all of the extra layers of judgment that I used to pile onto myself while I was doing the judgment to begin with. Yes. Yes. And I love the idea that grace and self-responsibility can go together. I think they do go together. They must. Yeah. What is your go-to coffee shop order? Oh, probably at this point, it would just be like iced coffee with cream, no sugar. Mm. Final question is, what do you want? I want to shift the way that parenting is done so that parents and children are all regarded and honored in their sovereignty and that over time as that shifts, just that like the cycle of socialization becomes the cycle of liberation. Nick, is there anything else? Is there anything more? No, that felt like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone listening is like, yes, it was. (laughs) Off to take a nap now. Nick, where can everyone find you who's going to want to know more about your work? Uh, Y'all can find me on Instagram. My handle is at Nick Strack, N-I-C-S-T-R-A-C-K. My website is the same, nickstrack.com. And I welcome y'all in my DMs. If you listen to this, I would love to know how it landed for you. If you have differences you're not okay with, please bring them into my DMs. Let's relate. Like, or not if you don't want to, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Your choice. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to Everything Belongs. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that others might find this podcast too. You can find the show notes and find out more about today's guests by going to madisonmorgan.com backslash podcast. And before you go, I want to tell you about Everything Belongs, the membership. For only $17 a month, join my monthly workshop gatherings that will serve as a playground and sacred circle to learn and explore a spirited life fully expressed in your worth, wholeness, and power. Members will have the opportunity to vote on podcast guests, pick workshop topics, send in questions to be answered live on the call, 
get a monthly journaling PDF and members only access to all of my coaching programs. If you're looking for a place to ground, gather, play, and explore all of the conversations shared here on Everything Belongs, then this is a space for you. For more information, go to madisonmorgan.com backslash membership. And if you're not following and chatting with me over on Instagram, please go do that now and DM me and let me know your favorite part of this episode. I cannot wait to hear from you. And until next time, remember that curiosity can be a portal to a rich life where everything truly belongs. See you next time.